of Cybersecurity Nerdy Talks, a series of podcasts about cybersecurity challenges faced by organizations in the ever so changing threat landscape. My name is Leonardo, and I'll be your host, and we'll be welcoming guests here to share their own experiences and thoughts on the current technology and cybersecurity affairs. Today, I welcome Flavio Agu, the Chief Information Security Officer for the World Health Organization, and Raul Poa, the CEO and co-founder of Redshift. Together, we're going to be talking about the current state of email security, recipient confidence, what we would like to see changing in the industry, and how organizations can help elevate cybersecurity awareness across their own employees. We will leave you with three takeaways to help you increase your email security maturity at the end of this podcast. Before we go any further into this podcast, let's refresh on where email comes from and how it became the main entry point of malware. If we take ourselves back into 1965, when the MIT introduced a mailbox for internal communication, and we start walking through the decades to when businesses began to leverage email as a form of digital inter-organizational communication, all the way to the late 90s, when we saw a huge adoption of email across end consumer base. And we take that combination of a large number of businesses and consumers using email as a form of digital communication, resulting in adversaries leveraging emails to propagate malware. And we look through into the new millennium when we saw the I love you malware hitting the world through a phishing campaign where over 10 million computers are infected. And we take a step into, the, uh, into now the, the, the future where we live, or the present where we're living now, and we see that we have over 4 billion active email users in the world. And we're starting to see that the bad guys, the adversaries, are now leveraging business email compromise to deploy 90% of the malware that lead to a data breach. Business email compromise is the evolution of the I love you phishing attack. If we look back into what that phishing attack was, approaching every single person without with the same email, with the same content, and we take into what business email compromises today, is where the adversaries are being more targeted. They're doing their research to identify the best way to social engineer the recipient, and successfully deploy that malware. Now, before we get a little bit further into the ways that business email compromise are actually uh, changing the threat landscape or have changed the threat landscape, let's hear from Flavio what his thoughts are on where we are with email communication security and recipient confidence. Thank you, Leo. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. I think the email security is one of the most important topic because, as you said before, uh, 90 plus percent of cyber attacks start with an email. So uh, emotional, um, um, emotional issues that can be triggered very easily by cyber attackers 
and that is a, a, a noticeable in multiple attacks. Uh, and I think the, the important piece of advice is everybody is busy and working uh, uh, in multiple, doing multitasks and working multiple uh, uh, fronts. And they normally people will not have the time, even the most experienced person can fall to a cyber attack. So the, uh, the multiple layers of security, I think it is the most important approach. And having multiple layers of security uh, leads into how do you know if somebody is impersonating you? So that is the main question. And for WHO, uh, I can share with you an important experience with the COVID-19 pandemic being declared last year. Uh, the WHO domain, who.int, was impersonated like crazy on the internet. And we started receiving reports from multiple uh, sources, including the media. And we noticed that the WHO email was almost considered um, a malware on the internet. So we had to take action, uh, action quickly. And we had already uh, the DMARC implementation in our roadmap, however, for a longer period of time. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we were expecting to start that work in 2021. Uh, and that would, that would be too late. So we decided to accelerate that project uh, to enable DMARC for WHO.int. And we had no idea initially how long that project will take could take six months, uh, a year, because the organization is large, multiple applications uh, could be uh, using email or services, using email uh, on behalf of WHO to send to multiple uh, destinations. So it was an unknown for us and was a big challenge. And why we decided to accelerate again, um, uh, almost 70% of our email, uh, of WHO email sent, sent to the public was impersonated. So uh, uh, out of billions of emails sent in a period of time, 70% uh, not being really sent by WHO, being sent by uh, 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 cyber uh, threat uh, actors and taking advantage of the situation on behalf of WHO sending malware, sending uh, uh, spear phishing, sending uh, regular phishing. And we needed to um, uh, fix these right away. So we implemented uh, the solution, uh, the DMARC solution uh, in the proper way and quite fast. Fortunately, we found a way to accelerate that. We uh, uh, discussed internally and of course we took some risk and hard decisions to uh, do it, but uh, we did it in 30 days. So it's possible to enable um, the full protection of the, your domain, uh, the domain of your company. And I really advise to do that because 70% after May, 70% of all those impersonations were eliminated. And that was a big relief for us because uh, the brand, the WHO brand was protected, and this was a big thing, especially during the pandemic, uh, when the pandemic was in a, 
very difficult situation for us because we needed to communicate uh, with multiple media outlets and uh, uh, that was a big deal. So uh, ideally, my recommendation will be to have all companies to en enable DMARC because uh, I would love to have 100% of impersonations being eliminated. Uh, why this is not possible yet? Because one, people may not know that is possible. Uh, people may not be aware that this is something absolutely necessary. And in my view, ISPs should enforce the mark for an email to be sent. And, and, and this is a, a proposition that I think will be excellent because by doing that, we enable uh, the verification of uh, the, the, the email. And if the email is not verified to be from the right uh, uh, sender, uh, the email just is eliminated. So you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to look at for um, a, junk, a junk folder or a spam folder. It's just eliminated. So that is the ideal scenario. And this is my recommendation. So back to uh, uh, the original point, uh, Leo, I think email uh, and from the impersonation point of view is the number one problem. There are other problems related to email, such as privacy, security, the ability to really ensure that the email is delivered and nobody else can see the information in between. But the number one problem in my view, that will diminish the huge number of cyber attacks is enabling the mark for all organizations. So this is what I can share with you. Yeah, I was just I was just going to going to reply. I, I think on the ISP point, uh, it's it's very interesting that you say that because I think on you know the conversations that I've had with various RSPs over the years, they would love to be able to do that. If they could only, if they could, if we could live in an internet where we could only accept authenticated email, the amount of mail processing that all the big ISPs and the cloud vendors would have to do would fall so dramatically that it would, you know, completely change their business models. But I think it, it is a struggle because, you know, to your point, it's, it's really interesting how many organizations in the wider internet currently don't really understand how all of this works or can work or should work. Uh, I, I think what's interesting about email is, is it is a complex ecosystem and it is a very old ecosystem. I mean, you mentioned this before, but I don't think people fully realize that email basically goes from one place to another via a, a protocol called SMTP. And the only reason I mention SMTP is because the S in SMTP stands for simple. And it's widely popular because it is actually very simple and it's a very old standard. If I remember correctly, the RFC is is maybe even slightly older or about the same age as I am, um, which which makes me feel very old right now. And that this protocol is wire compatible today to the same thing it was, you know, 45 years ago. Um, and obviously the internet didn't really exist 45 years ago, but you know, digital networks were a very different thing back then. Um, so you fast forward that 40 years and, well, we're in a very different landscape. We use email for very different purposes. I mean, it's usually very important purposes. It's, it's the language or the channel that everyone uses for business, as it were, and that's where all the money is. So unsurprisingly, 
fraudsters are incredibly attracted to this, you know, very creaky in some places protocol that's very widely adopted and very well implemented, but very poorly secured. And that's why there is so much opportunity for them to make uh, money, essentially, because, you know, we're not, we're not quite ready. And there are standards, like uh, Fabio, of course, has been saying that, you know, there, there are solutions. This isn't, this isn't an unsolvable problem. That is correct, Raul. Spoofing is a solvable problem. By correctly implementing and enforcing DMARC, organizations can increase the level of protection of their own domains, thus ensuring that only authorized email sending services can send emails on their behalf. But interestingly enough, Redshift has been analyzing over 47 million domains over the past few years. Now, what we have seen is that only 1.5% of those domains are correctly protecting themselves with DMARC. Now, yes, within those 47 million domains, we might have uh, certain domains that are not actually sending emails. We might have or very small organizations or personal domains. Now, if we take and then we actually follow that, uh, that list of domains, a number of domains being um analyzed and we start focusing only on the fortune 100 and 250 we only we've seen that only 35 percent of those organizations are protecting their domains against impersonation those are multi-billion dollar organizations that rely on emails to communicate internally with their clients with their partners and a wider supply chain I don't believe that there is any reason that in 2021, this number shouldn't be almost, if not, 100%. I understand that there is a considerable misunderstanding on how to protect and the impact of actually leveraging DMARC for email domain protection. I wanted to talk about uh, the misconception um, that possibly it is happening even in the IT community because the IT community may mix um, the typical spam type of email from a very hardcore impersonation of domains. And, uh, and, and, and because of that, and because spam is very difficult to deal with, and sometimes you hire uh, companies to diminish spam, but spam is a, a constant battle. and doesn't matter what company you are working from, you're going to see a spam level that is high or low. But pure impersonation is a major problem. And because pure impersonation gives the certainty for the person that is receiving an email that the email is really coming from that organization. And, and that is the reason it's very effective uh, for cyber attacks. So, um, uh, clarifying that uh, uh, impersonation of email uh, can be solved with DMARC and, and it is not a, a big deal from the technolo technology point of view. Of course, you need to know precisely what to change from the SPF and DKIM point of view uh, to really enable the DMARC uh, services. Uh, and uh, so the protocol can be on, and my recommendation is to go full reject towards the end of the implementation, because then it's, it's a cleaner solution. Uh, 
if you if you think about the uh, the value of elimination of those uh, impersonations and if they understand that this is what we are doing and if they understand the volume of impersonation that is happening i think you're going to start to see a shift because uh, what did it for me was of course the pressure from the volume of email that was coming uh, to others that were from WHO and clearly we didn't send those messages uh, and uh, when in the in the reporting phase when we saw the volume uh, of the, those impersonations and uh, we could report to internally in the organization and that was a no-brainer to really move forward full force for the activation and i think uh, if I'm going to recommend you to do something, is uh, make, making sure that uh, uh, more organizations are aware of the number of in, uh, 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 impersonation that is going on. Because with more organizations enabling DMARC, that uh, 2% or 1 point some percent will go higher. And honestly, uh, uh, with the more education and more understanding from the IT community, I think you'll be able to see uh, more adoption and, and, and less impersonation, which is quite dangerous. Yeah, certainly. That would make, I think, the internet a much safer place for all of us, because I guess one of the, one of the really interesting things about, about these standards-based solutions like DMARC is that they have network effects. It's, it's not like buying a little piece of you know, black box software or hardware that you put on your network perimeter. Even if it works perfectly, whatever that means, it would only ever protect your organization. When you implement these standards, the if impact of implementing these standards means, yes, it protects your organization you know, from your own impersonations, but more importantly, it, it protects everyone else, your supply chain, the general public, you know, journalists, governments, whoever it is that you really need to communicate with, it protects them from people who would be looking to impersonate you for for whatever reason? Um, I think with with, with DMARC specifically, what we found is that the big light bulb moment is is what you just described. People don't know what they don't know, and a lot of these impersonation attacks may never actually cross a particular customer's. Uh, network perimeter. Even if they were looking for them, they may never be able to find them in their server logs because it may go from you know, some kid in Vietnam to some government agency on the other side of the world. And unless you actually get you know, a manual report of some kind, uh, you're unlikely to know that that has happened. And even if you do get that one report, you don't really understand all the reports that you're not getting or the scale of the problem. So what we found always is that that switch, when you, when you, when you take uh, domain and you turn on that reporting switch for the first time and you really analyze all of that reporting that you're getting back and you understand what's actually happening on the global internet around you whether you whether you like it or not whether you know it or not that's always a big light bulb moment for everyone and usually a very scary one because i think in our experience we've typically seen you know numbers very much like you described like a one third of all the traffic is legitimate or or probably legitimate and another two-thirds are people, machines, compromise systems, bots, botnets, whatever they are in the world that you have no idea about, no control over, who are pretending to be you.
And, and true, uh, visibility, I think it is the key. Uh, t- uh, transparency uh, and visibility. So it, it would be absolutely uh, fantastic if, if uh, somehow you could enable the activation at least for monitoring. And so uh, organizations can see those numbers, the one third and the two thirds that you're describing. And uh, because I think uh, that will do it. Uh, and then more and more organizations w- will activate uh, the mark. And as more organizations activate, it's not only protecting themselves, as you said, it will protect the public. But uh, very important to protect themselves from other attacks, because if other organizations are trying to um, uh, mimic um, uh, domains from other places, uh, at least if that other place has the market activated and you do as well, you will never be able to see that email, so that threat. So it's, I, I, I feel that it is uh, uh, more than only detection, is prevention. So it's cyber attack prevention. And, and this is uh, all good. And again, having a safer way to exchange and messages and to collaborate, I think it is ideal. That, that makes a lot of sense, guys. One, I think one thing that I, I can actually think about is it's all about education. And I think there is a huge lack of education around what DMARC is and what DMARC really does. Um, but equally, there is a massive, from conversations that I have personally been having, uh, there is a massive uh, misunderstanding of how do you even actually configure DMARC? And once you do it, what are the actual benefits for the organization itself? And let me explain myself on this front here. Um, from numerous conversations with clients who had um, never actually configured that DMARC protocol in their DNS, it was actually coming back and then telling me, actually, I've done this. I've already have a DMARC mm-hmm. configuration or a DMARC policy on my email gateway. So therefore, I'm already stopping this from happening, I am safe. So that's number one is the one thing that I hear uh, a lot. The second piece that I hear a lot is um, I'm already blocking impersonations coming into my organization. My email gateway does that for me. Why, why, Why do I care what's actually happening outside my organization? And it's, it, it, it is a sad statement, I feel, particularly that this is a hard statement because it's as what you guys have said, it's a network effect. If one person does it, the second does it, the third does it, the fourth does it, and we suddenly we go from 1.7% uh, of the 42 million domains that we are um, um, keeping, uh, that we are observing, we suddenly can reach 100% and we are now, we have would have effectively crossed the way one actual big part of business email compromise, which is direct domain impersonation. Now, what I want you to tell me, perhaps that's a question for Raul. Number one, what's the difference? Setting up a DMARC policy or on your gateway versus setting up a DMARC policy on your DNS. And number two, why should organizations actually care about impersonations of their domains going outside of their network and not actually impacting them internally. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, it, it's it's hard to talk in generalities because you know everyone's configuration is ever so different, and everyone's choice of environment is different. But but I think uh, I think what we sometimes hear is, is what you described that people don't really understand, you know, how DMARC actually works. It's it's not a switch per se. Um, so you know, usually this might be someone like who's running uh, G Suite. You know, we run G Suite, right? Or an Office three six five. A lot of lot of businesses run Office three six five. Those are great, high quality email cloud service platforms, and they support DMARC. Um, when you go into you know your Office three six five tenant or something, and you switch on, hey, do do my DMARC enforcement for me. What you're basically telling Office three six five to do is to enable all of its DMARC processing, which means that any domain. For example, Flavio's who.int, uh, that domain, which now has DMARC reject, when, it, when that email arrives or an email purporting to be from who.int arrives at your gateway, your gateway will do the right thing. It'll go out there and look, say, is this, is this an authentic DMARC compliant email? Yes, it is. Let me show it to an end user because it's from the World Health Import, World Health Organization. Um, if it's not, I'm going to log it and send that report to, uh, to Flavio and Flavio's tools so that he can see what's going on in the world, but he doesn't have to worry about it now because they're now in reject. So they know that an end user hasn't seen that email, but someone might be trying to do something malicious, or maybe there's a new service that uh, someone's testing that needs to be properly configured or whatever the case might be. Um, but you're not getting the benefit of DMARC for your own email. You're just allowing Microsoft or Google, whoever it is, Cisco or Proofpoint or whatever, to process emails in a DMARC compliant way, which you know they should be doing. And for many of these systems, is the default on anyway. But that doesn't really mean that you've done DMARC. You know, people can freely impersonate you because you're not advertising any of these authentication signals for yourself. Now, some organizations have gone and you know turned their filter settings to really, really tight to do a kind of pseudo DMARC implementation where they they check all their own stuff and make sure that you know only internal quote quote internal mails can work um, uh, can be delivered because they by checking a whole bunch of things that they know about their own internal email system they deem it to be authentic or not the problem with that approach is very fragile because email is a very complicated beast and anyone who is maintaining one of these rules-based systems at scale knows it's actually a pretty complicated job to get right, because the instant you get it wrong, suddenly you're not delivering very important email from you know legitimate sources inside your organization to your own employees. Now, luckily, the entire ecosystem of email has come together and said, how do we solve this problem with mailing lists, with mail relays, with third-party cloud-based services, with you know the entire, frankly, mess that is out there of email? How do we solve this thing in a reliable and robust way? And that's DMARC. And hey, the advantage of actually doing it this way is not only is it best practice, is it industry designed as it were, so it's not your own kind of special source. There's a lot of tooling out there to help you with it, and it'll actually help you across your ecosystem. Because, you know, once again, if one of your supply chain gets a fake invoice from you, they're not going to be happy about it either, right? Especially when most of us know in the world that that could have been prevented if you just done the things that all of your peer group are doing today. Yeah, it's uh, I even kind of mentioning back what Flavio mentioned. He mentioned brand protection, brand reputation. That is something that organizations really should be thinking about. Yeah, I think Flavio's point that people just don't know is is probably the the right one. They don't, you know, it is a complicated 
system. It is a complicated ecosystem. The threats are evolving, and we understand all of that. The, the reality is, you know, there's a class of problems for which there are robust technical solutions. Exact domain impersonation is one of them. It's great. You don't have to train your users. If you do it right, they won't even notice that you've done it. It just means a whole bunch of bad stuff just stops happening. That is, that is sort of a holy grail, and very rarely do you get these these kind of you know really robust technical solutions in cybersecurity. So that's why I think all of us that are close to this, who've either done it before or provide tools for this for this part of the ecosystem, really see it as a no-brainer. I think it's interesting whenever we talk to CISOs, every CISO who's deployed DMOC at least once can't imagine working for an organization where they haven't deployed it again. So it's you know it's just a straightforward thing that you would do. Uh, but a lot of people don't know about this yet, which I think is, you know, one of the objectives uh, of this conversation, of what we're trying to do as an industry to make sure people understand that there are solutions out there. You know, however you choose to solve the problem, it is a problem worth solving. Yeah, and, and just to, to, to complement uh, again, uh, I think it is uh, precisely uh, the visualization, the transparency, I think it is the, uh, the problem number one. And also the problem number two is to um, uh, clarify to the IT community because not necessarily all organizations they have CISOs they uh, they may they have IT doing security and they need to really uh, understand the difference between the impersonation that is happening on their domain and uh, spam uh, pure phishing. Uh, which probably they have uh, techniques, solutions uh, to handle that, but it will not handle the full impersonation of the domain. And they may not be aware, and they, and they may not be aware because it is not happening to them, but it is happening to their suppliers, to, to other companies, as you're describing. And in the case of WHO, one effective way was... Uh, it, it a report in the media. So there is a report in the media talking about this topic that was not only WHO, but other organizations. And that was a, a major trigger uh, for the discussion, along with all the reporting that we sporadically received because people didn't understand why WHO was sending email X, Y, and Z. So uh, I, I think from the public transparency and awareness uh, point of view, I think this podcast helps because, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the solution is can be quite simple and complex at the same time. So it is simple to implement uh, from the technology point of view, but it is complex to understand what are the impersonations that you wanted to happen because you may have hundreds of different services that are impersonating you and you wanted that to continue. So you need to configure those. So that, that is the other uh, component that is important to mention. Absolutely. It's all about ensuring we, we, we have the right education, we have the right uh, organizations understand what they say they have to do from a configuration perspective. Uh, it's having that knowledge that the you know cyber attacks have actually they're constantly evolving attackers are constantly evolving we went from uh, the 2000 i love you bug 
to um, the, generally went after millions, tens of millions of different email addresses and has and was able to actually um, uh, infect all of those tens of millions of uh, of laptops to what we see now, which are way more targeted business email compromise. It's a change in the in the way that the adversaries, the attackers, are taking to break through or break into an organization. The work that they're doing, the um, uh, the social engineering that they're going through, understanding who organize, which organization is doing business with each organization. You're looking through LinkedIn. Social media is amazing. Things that you can find from there. Who from your LinkedIn are you currently having conversations with? I personally had a client commenting in one of my posts the other day saying that they're currently working with me on something that is related to um, DMARC implementation. But if you take that from a different perspective and you start thinking about a different supplier, talking to a different supplier on how they are doing business together and the adversaries can actually see that because if it is on the internet, it's actually recorded forever. You can use that information back and if they're not actually protected, you can leverage that to actually potentially have a massive data breach into an organization. You have to think about this, I, I guess, the adversaries as, as, as business owners in their own right, right? To some extent, they are running an operation that they're expecting to, to make money from as, as a result of this. Like every one of these fake emails costs something. It doesn't cost a lot, but it costs something. So one interesting thing, for, of course, that we see is that for an organization, once you do things like DMARC and you remove that exact domain impersonation, that traffic typically goes somewhere else. Um, which you know is is good for the is is good for the person who's implemented DMARC. That's great because you know at least they're not continuously getting all of these uh, spam emails going into inboxes around the world. But typically that means that someone in an adjacent part of the industry who's not done these basic things is suddenly going to see an increase in the amount of volume that they're experiencing because this traffic is effectively has to go somewhere where it can generate revenue effectively for the fraudsters. Um, so there is, there's, there's definitely, you know, going to be a tipping point, I think, where people who haven't done these basic things will be suffering disproportionately compared to the organizations that have gone out there and implemented best practices. Interesting. <laughs> it is very true. It's, it, uh, these organizations or these, uh, well, the adversaries, they actually function just like a normal business. They actually looking into the return on investment, how much they're actually going to get from an attack. Uh, even though those tools are actually really cheap. And in fact, if you look at the cost of an attack versus the cost of actually uh, protecting against attacks, there's a massive discre- discrepancy there, right? Um, and adversaries, as, as, as little investments as they have, they're still looking to make a big return on investment there. And by leveraging and entering into a full protection mode is actually vital to stop that from happening or to reduce that return on investment so they can actually move elsewhere. Now, with that in mind, there's another question that I have here for you guys. So here is another um, objection that we always hear clients or uh, we always hear prospects saying, which is actually focus on, hey, it's not every um, uh, ISP that recognizes or that actually 
um, takes note of what DMAR policies are. So why should I care? The percentage of DMARC, um, the percentage of DMARC uh, adopting from an ISP perspective is very low. So, you know, why why should I care? I I I mean I, I think that number is is actually incorrect as far as I'm aware. The last big ISPs that uh, didn't respect DMARC were predominantly a couple of regional ISPs. Uh, I think Germany was one was one territory where you know typically DMARC enforcement was quite low because the large ISPs over there did not support it. But as of 2021, they have. So you know that was kind of the last holdout. If you are on any of the big inboxes or business inboxes, like once again Office 365, G Suite, Hotmail, Blah, Yahoo, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you have no choice. You're getting DMARC whether you whether you know it or not. Um, I, I think there are very few places in the world now where you can actually receive email and and have it be totally blind to what DMARC is. Yeah, I, I, I'm experiencing a, a, a similar type of behavior. And uh, uh, more and more, um, uh, I have to work on what are the exceptions that... Uh, the business wants to uh, in enable um, proper impersonation uh, because I see lots of uh, emails uh, being completely being ignored uh, and that's a good thing because then uh, that shows that the control is in place. So, so I, think, I, I think that is a good, a good evolution for um, security and, and can prevent uh, cyber attacks. Uh, Leo, I, I just wanted to add one concern for email that I think is interesting uh, to share. What we, uh, we started to see more uh, in the last couple of months is uh, uh, the use of uh, shortened URL and tricking um, um, the consumer uh, with shortened URL. And, and this is a major problem. Because um, there are multiple techniques and there are several companies that can provide uh, a verification of the links and attachments. And this is a major, besides the impersonation, this is the biggest problem for um, uh, defense mechanisms uh, so we can protect uh, the consumers, uh, people in, your, in, in the organization how to verify links and attachments uh, in a proper way. And uh, 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 back to your point on um, triggering or exploiting the emotional side, uh, the issue with uh, links, uh, shorten URLs, is sometimes they uh, create a, a shortened URL that instead of Y, they put I. Or instead of uh, uh, L, they put I. And visually, when people are looking at the link, they think they are going to the right place, but they are not. So I, I just wanted to add this up to the discussion. <laughs> That's great, because we, we absolutely agree. That is, uh, that is, I think, the next frontier uh, of technical solution. Um, and, you know, as you know, we're a vendor in the space and we've been really looking at this place quite, quite closely because we know that uh, I think that two things about 
why I'm excited about what technology can do today for cybersecurity. And one is what we've been talking a lot about today, which is this sort of standards-based solutions. You know, I, I'm, I'm really excited about standards-based solutions, whether it's DMARC, BIMI. Uh, Flavio, you mentioned before you were, you were concerned about um, encryption, making sure that, you know, you can't have your messages intercepted trivially by various types of man-in-the-middle attacks. I think uh, MTA, STS is a new standard that for once both Google and Microsoft have really got behind. And that's really about ensuring that when servers communicate with each other over SMTP, it's properly encrypted, encrypted to this, you know, a standard that you would expect from your bank, which means that at the very least, people can't just trivially be listening in on the messages and reading the attachments and everything else that comes in between. So I think that's a great move forward. And I think it's a great indication of where our industry is heading. We're heading towards trying to make all of these solutions really robust and built into the protocol instead of trying to patch them with various sort of sticky tape and, and, um, and, and glue kind of solutions around the edges. And I think that will make the internet a much more secure place than we have at this moment in time. But the second thing I'm really excited about is what we can do with uh, technology like AI, because you know, even though AI was you know, predominantly driven for you know, robotic processes, automation, driverless cars, factory for automation, whatever the case might be, what we've generally got to right now is a place where technology for certain special cases can do a pretty good job of emulating a human being. And once we can do that, we can start to apply that kind of judgment and assessment on all our messages and our links and our domains and everything else at a scale that we could otherwise just never do with a bunch of you know, cybersecurity professionals or, or people sitting in some uh, sock somewhere. And when we can apply all of those things to these really current business data streams, I think we can create new types of products that do things that have never really been done before. And so when we look at some of the things that we're excited about pursuing next, it's really about saying, can we apply that you know, cybersecurity expert, as it were, on every email. It might be a Cyrillic I, it might be, you know, some, some Far Eastern L or something that's put together to create things that look visually very deceptive to the normal user or even to the trained analyst. Because, you know, how can you spot some of these details? There's a tiny dot below the B. How are you even going to see that on an average, you know, Windows or Mac PC? If you can use AI to look at those things and say, actually, this looks a little bit odd for you know, very reasonable reasons. And I can make that assessment in you know, 50 milliseconds or 100 milliseconds. That means we can start to solve some of these problems in a way that doesn't force us to you know, set ourselves up for failure by trying to train every single person in the organization for look to all of these very exotic and complicated things. I think here we kind of moving into, you know, transition a little bit on the, on the you know, on, on the other spectrum of that email security piece, which is the user awareness part, is how it is that we are expecting users to identify potential uh, threats, even if your traditional or your current security tools have not been able to spot them. So what it is that we are doing now to actually highlight that to the users, I know, there's a lot that is actually going on in a market from a product perspective. And Raul has actually quite rightly mentioned it's utilizing technology and utilizing artificial intelligence, machine learning 
to bring it out and actually highlight to users what is actually what the threats are. Being able to apply, I usually I used to say this all the time, um, and um, my engineer once, or my, my the security engineer that I always worked with, came to me and said, "You don't you don't say that. That does not that does not sound cool." Uh, but it's a Terminator idea. Uh, you know, we we had the Terminator going back in the past, and the Terminator was a machine, and he went back in the past to kill humans, right? To stop a to stop something, or to stop an attack, to stop a change in the future. Now, what they have done is there was a machine, a, a bad machine that was sent to the past as well for that actually change in the, what the future would look like. And in order to protect against it, what they have done is send another machine. So therefore, it's actually changing the way that we fight the bad. If we are currently now looking to fight cyber or cyber attacks um, against machines, so we have several machines, we have uh, bad guys leveraging artificial intelligence, leveraging uh, various different deceiving techniques to uh, lure users to click on the link to download an application, an attachment, whichever way, um, add to their credentials. How can we actually bring that back and we bring that terminated idea and actually have a fight between machines versus machines rather than human versus machine, where we are always kind of losing? I know I, I can see I can see they smile in Raul's face right now. It does not sound cool enough, but generally that's how I actually made it into perspective. We're living in a world where the bad guys are actually leveraging um, all tools that they have available to them. But us, as the people being attacked, what is it that we can have? How is it that we can actually be? Um, how it is that we can be, number one, empowered with the knowledge to identify those attacks, but equally that knowledge coming from perhaps a machine as well or having a machine to actually help us fight that, fight, that battle. I, uh, I, I, I have two, two types of interpretation um, that I, I, I can share. One is uh, that a fight will never end because one will evolve in the other as well. So that is one interpretation. And, and I think it is inevitable, uh, by the way. I, I, I'm not denying that. However, I have a different perspective. I believe that the IT community and the IT vendors needs to wake up and recognize that vulnerabilities really will continue to exist and we need to have a multi-layer approach that includes the human factor in the beginning, in the front. Because uh, in, in one way, uh, uh, you're absolutely right, it's impossible to do that by teaching. Uh, I, it's, it's, we, we need to find smarter ways to help everybody. However, uh, the notion of zero trust architecture needs to exist and verification of identity and the, and the proper technology to do that verification with a requirement for using passphrases and password vault and dual factor for everyone could be the way to create that first layer of mitigation that will always exist because we are talking about humans using systems, right? Not machines. 
So we need to help humans to change their perspective on technology. I call that we need the human operating system reboot. So, so this is how I call it. Uh, and, and, and the IT industry should wake up for that. In parallel, needs to continue to do evolution with AI with uh, better and more um, robust systems to uh, create those other layers of defense. Typically, I, I, I can share with you, this is being Switzerland is convenient, is the Swiss cheese model. So we have multiple Swiss cheese, one on top of the other. And as you know, the Swiss cheese has a hole. So the hole represents a vulnerability. So you need one layer, which is the, the first layer, people, the human. And then the, you have how many layers that you can afford to take the risk that the organization can, is willing to take. Because more layers you put, more money you are investing. That's a very, it's a, it's a very grounded and pragmatic view on the world. I think we, I think I may have mentioned the whole silver bullet idea before, and you know, it, it still surprises me that people think that they are silver bullets. And even if they happen to be silver bullets at a particular point in time, it is very unlikely that the world will stand still for very long. So, you know, it's, it's not going to, going to, its shelf life is going to be, going to be quite limited. Um, and, and I think that approach, right. We, I'm, I, I, I think, Users need to be educated. I, I always sort of describe it, uh, my analogy, especially to non-technical people, is sort of around driving a car. Because, you know, you're not going to take someone who doesn't know how to drive a car and put them in a car. But at the same time, you're not going to put them in a car that doesn't have basic, widely accepted security solutions in there, like, you know, anti-lock brakes, airbags, all the things that regulation require and all the things that everyone does. Because we can do them. We have solutions for them. So why would we just say, no, it's okay. Let's just train the user. He'll drive really well and never have an accident. That's, that's crazy, right? People would think that would be very bad reasoning. Yet in some ways, we find people applying that reasoning to cybersecurity. You need to train people, no doubt, because they have to understand the value of what they're doing. They have to understand how they are vulnerable, how they could be vulnerable. They have to understand the value of the data that they have, the value of their passwords, all these other things. Because if they don't value them and they don't understand them, then it's going to be very hard to get them to do anything sensible with that. But that can't be it. That can't be the end of the story because you're basically then putting them into a rust bucket and throwing them onto a highway. And that would be a very dangerous and irresponsible thing to do. So... I think, you know, you need technologies and Flavio, you mentioned, you know, multi-factor authentication. I think it's amazing sometimes when we talk to prospects, how they are, you know, talking about some advanced, complicated, heuristics-based agent solution, but, you know, everyone's using password one, two, three. Uh, and there's no, there's no, you know, second factor authentication model in the plan. So, you know, I think the layers have to be, the layers have to be there and the layers have to be appropriate. So start with the basics, the stuff that works, is widely accepted and is the you know, price to play, I think, if you're going to be in the digital ecosystem today. And then add on the other things that add you know, some overlapping functionality, because overlapping functionality may feel a bit redundant, but it's also good, because maybe it plugs some of those Swiss cheese holes that the other layers, layers have, and build up from there. But there certainly should be a common understanding that one of these layers is unlikely to be the solution for everything. Yeah. And, and Ro, uh, it's funny, the analogy of the car and the, and the person, because 
how many uh, people with the proper car and with the proper driver's license and education get into an accident. So uh, it, it, that's, that's really the reality. So the industry, uh, uh, the IT community needs to really uh, understand that the basics are essential. And then you have uh, the layers up to the point that you you have a limit in terms of resources available for you to invest in security. Uh, similar to your house, uh, you, you have a, a good lock, a, a good window, and a good door. But of course, if you wanted to invest a little bit more, then you have bulletproof window, bulletproof door, and, and that will create a better security. But one, do you need it? Two, is that worthwhile in terms of risk reward? So uh, with technology is a similar thing. And I think the layer security and in multiple aspects, but starting from the basic, uh, long passwords, unique long passwords for each system and multi-factor authentication for all. That, that is bas basically a recommendation. And uh, I'm surprised of some IT people that still believe that complex password is a good thing or changing the password every nine days is a good thing. Uh, my recommendation is always very long and unique passwords and change only when you need it, uh, when there is an event that is required. And for that, I have a password vault that helps me out and uh, multi-factor authentication by default. Yeah, yeah. I think I think one top tip, apart from DMARC, of course, which we cannot forget about, is do multi-factor authentication on everything that is of any material consequence, and even the things that you think are not, because you know sometimes there are unknown connections between the two that can lead to unexpected outcomes. I think if we do that, we would be in a much better place today. Yeah, and 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 you're absolutely right. The DMARC is included from the technology side. I, I mentioned those basic things for the public, but definitely uh, DMARC, uh, EDR, SIM, SOC, vulnerability management, threat intelligence, those are the layers in technology that uh, of course I can keep going on and on and all the, the layers, but those are the basic layers for any organization to be more secure. Absolutely, I completely agree with you. Uh, security is in in most part about doing these standards, doing them well, and analyzing what your risk acceptance is. What is it that you can? What is it that you can actually accept to be a, a risk that you can take in order to do it? Because you can always improve. You can always add another layer. How many vendors we have today in the market? Thousands. If I I have a little matrix that I always pull out. Um, when I'm talking to, to people, when you think about how many different layers that you have in there, how many different vendors doing several different things, I can actually fill up an entire screen, a 42-inch screen here full of actually logos and people, and that wouldn't be only one slide. You could probably fill up another one. Um, but it's really organizations to really truly understand what their risk acceptance is, what it is they want to do, and that kind of leads on to digital transformation and what it is that they are doing because we see a lot of people actually moving on to the cloud um, but how it is that we're actually allowing people to 
uh, or how it is that security teams are allowing organizations to move into the cloud in a safe manner, but it's actually thinking differently. How it is that they are helping them, number one, identify their risk acceptance. Number two, actually reduce the risks of having their data in the cloud or leveraging um, cloud applications. Now, without actually kind of giving too much, this is a, a, another podcast that we're actually running uh, later on in the year. We will be touching on this point, on what it is, the impact of digital transformation uh, and cloud and how that actually goes hand in hand and how you actually move, uh, how organizations, how security teams should ensure can help organizations become more efficient and um, collaborate more efficiently as well. Now, before we go, if there were three key points that we should take away from this webinar, what would you give Flavio? Uh, I, I will say that uh, the most important uh, element is to understand the risk of uh, the risk that the organization is willing to take and understand uh, uh, looking at the uh, history of cyber attacks, email for sure, uh, impersonation is a major issue and uh, DMARC is uh, the way to go. So implement DMARC. And the, the last one is don't forget the human factor. So pass long passwords, uh, unique long passwords and and the uh, multi-factor authentication. Absolutely. Raul, do you want to give me your three things before we go? Uh, I'd actually made a couple of notes before this and I'd basically written those two things down too. So I'm sure our audience would be far more interested to hear those words from Flavio than from me. So uh, I, I'm not sure there's much more magic than that, right? Just do a couple of straightforward basics and then, and then start looking at whatever exotic stuff is relevant for your type of business and your and your security budget basically um and and see and see what helps uh, i think that'd be very practical this probably is two podcasts actually in the midst of all of it some of it a bit more forward looking and philosophical and some of it probably a bit more practical and you know you just do these things and and get on with it <laughs> very true now guys thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it Thank you very much for listening to the first episode of the Cybersecurity Nerdy Talks podcast. Today, we welcome Flavio and Raul to talk to us about how to increase your email security maturity and recipient confidence. Flavio has left us with three takeaways in order to do it so. The number one, identify your own organization's risk acceptance. Number two, implement and enforce DMARC. Number three, do not forget the human factor. This was a great episode and I very much look forward to the next one. I will be hosting sessions on a quarterly basis and will be welcoming various different cybersecurity leaders to share their thoughts and experiences. The next podcast will be talking about the impact of digital transformation to the threat landscape and how cybersecurity teams can support the organizations to identify and reduce the risks of leveraging the cloud in this journey. Thank you very much for listening to me today, and I look forward to welcoming you in to this podcast again next time. Have a great day.